everybody. My name's Jess and welcome to Lit. I am so excited to be here today to talk to you about Kyle Mann and Joel Berry's awesome allegorical tale, The Postmodern Pilgrim's Progress. And joining me today is Abby Libby from Conspiracy Pilled. Welcome, Abby. Hey. hey, thanks. I am so glad you're here. I am so glad we read this book together. It is so good. We read it right when it came out and every chapter was like, oh. Uh, yes. Uh, this book is so funny and so intense and hashtag real grass. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to tell everybody what that means? Because we're going to be saying that a lot tonight. We're going to be saying that a lot. Yeah. C.S. Lewis wrote The Great Divorce, which is a book about a group of people from hell who walk get to walk into heaven and get a chance to change their mind about whether or not they wanted to be in hell or whether they wanted to be in heaven. And as they're walking in, the grass gets more and more real and it hurts their feet because they're not real enough to walk on the grass. And that's what we mean when we say something is real grass. It means that it it is so real and true that it's painful. But this book was also painful because it was painful. So it was both. Yeah, it's definitely both, but we're definitely going to get into it. So just like last week, I like to start off my episodes just by reading off the back of the book to give you kind of the author's glimpse into what we're going to be delving in. So it says, step into a fantasy world that feels an awful lot like this one. Ryan Fleming is a young agnostic reeling from his brother's death. Though he is deeply angry with God, he makes good on a promise he made in the final moments of his brother's life to visit a church at least once. But shortly after his arrival, the slick megachurch's video projector falls on his head, sending Ryan through a wormhole into another world. After a narrow escape from the city of destruction, whose comfortably numb inhabitants are oblivious to the fire and brimstone, falling like bombs in their midst and destroying their homes, Ryan finds himself on a quest. To make it back to his own universe, he must partner with a woman named Faith to awaken a long-sleeping king, the world maker who can make all things new. Filled with characters straight out of the 21st century American church, including Radical, the Smiling Preacher, Health and Wealth, and others, this often humorous, always insightful, tale parallels Christian's journey and the pilgrim's progress. Prepare to laugh, cry, cringe, feel convicted, and ultimately be changed by the time the story ends. How are you feeling about that? It's accurate. It is super accurate. It actually gives away a lot more than I thought it would, to be perfectly honest. I think that's fair for a retelling, but normally that would be too much. Right. And this, it is key to remember that it is a retelling of the original Pilgrim's Progress. Did you ever read that, Abby? I did. And whatever the sequel was, I don't remember. It wasn't as good. But Pilgrim's Progress is one of those things where it, I think it was so powerful in its time. And it always needs to be updated for a new time. Some classics really just are eternal and some need a little bit of help. And this one needed I agree, because it relied so much on characters from fiction that were important from that era. And uh, C.S. Lewis kind of updated it in the Pilgrim's Regress. And now we have this modern retelling, which is perfect for our era, because not only does it address some of the themes that are always relevant, regardless of time period, it updates it to what we see in modern culture. 
Um, so that is super exciting. As we go through, uh, I will, of course, give you a spoiler warning before we get to into it. But this book is told from the perspective of the narrator. Who is the narrator? Kyle. I mean, an angel. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely Kyle, though, right? Yeah. I just imagine there are two voices or points of view here. The, the narrator who's telling everything and then the main character who's dealing with everything and feeling everything and i just imagine that kyle's the narrator and joel's the is ryan or christian and you can really feel that it's kyle because the narrator is outrageously hilarious so, so <laughs> this is not one that of joel's the, not funny but right but i don't know i like this quote a lot uh, you can dive into the infinite truths that transcend the physical universe during a nap on the couch. But when you wake up, all you'll remember is a salamander in a cowboy hat or a giant cat <laughs> destroying your house with his laser eyes. Or more commonly, that you forgot to study for a test and that you're naked and all your teeth fell out. That's our narrative. I frequently dream that I have registered for a class that I am now at the end of the semester and haven't ever attended. Oh my gosh, me too. It really stresses me out. I wonder if that's just like PTSD from being in school or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I'm going to fail because I never went because I forgot <laughs> that I registered for that. Oh, anyway. Right. Uh, so I the remember- narrator is really good at tapping into that. Yes. It's got that dreamlike, whimsical quality and also enough of a almost childlike it's like it's an adult voice, but it's also innocent the way that you would imagine an angel to be. And so it's just so funny as it tells things in this kind of more childlike way. I really like that comparison. Oftentimes he'll be like in the book, oh, was that a spoiler? I'm sorry I said that. <laughs> sorry. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> like, erase it. That <laughs> Right. You're the new to you- talk to him. <laughs> like, you're in charge here. Uh, but that's the narrator who's telling the story. And the story is, of course, about Ryan Fleming. And one of the crux characters of the story is Matthew Fleming, Ryan's younger brother. Uh, and you really feel for the kid because he's diagnosed with cancer when he's, what, 16? Absolutely tragic. Um, but this young boy has such a strong faith for a 16-year-old. And all he can think about is telling Ryan, the older brother, to go to church, even when he's on his deathbed. And one of the most powerful things he says while he's on his deathbed is walk forward. So here, let me show this for you guys. Walk forward. Sometimes all you can do is move forward. I mean, talk about real grass. Right? Have to keep walking through the grass. Sometimes when it's very, very painful, you just have to walk very slow. And that's all you can do. And that's all you can do. I read the first chapter and I was like, this is a book by funny people. Ow! (laughs) Right? And then I took a couple weeks off because I couldn't stand it. (laughs) And I got brave enough to come back. No one writes writes loss like that who hasn't been through it. And that made me sad to know the authors and to know that. Yeah. I mean, it makes you sad to realize that these people who have this great sense of humor, because 
uh, for those of you don't who don't know, Kyle and Joel are part of the Babylon Bee, this great satire website, who have prophesied probably as much as The Simpsons, probably more <laughs> things that have happened on, in our culture. It's absolutely crazy. But they're so witty and so funny. And then they write this book where in the first chapter, I'm already ugly crying. Like, right? what? I thought this was going to be funny. Switch. It is such a bait switch. I was like, the absolute betrayal. I'm like crying on my way in listening to the audiobook way, which we're like, I have been misled. <laughs> right? But even oh, when we get past part- the grief part. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Even when you get past the grief part, just the descriptions of things are so vivid. We've yeah, it's the real grass thing. There, it's very alive. It is, and they don't take a lot of words to say it because, like, the book itself was not too many hours. I probably finished it in a few commutes. The paper book is 204 pages. That's a fairly short book. You could finish it in a day. But they say so much in so few words, which is so powerful. I didn't even realize it was that short because I kept chickening out. (laughs) That's kind of the thing I like about audiobooks is they force you to slow down because not only are you going at the pace that the narrator is narrating it to you, um, but you take pauses because it's an audiobook. So you force yourself to step away. You got to go and live your own life. Sometimes it gets too painful. So you're like, no, I can't do this anymore. Um, whereas if it's a paper book, it's like, I got to get to the end. And you might catch a glimpse at something on another page. You don't get that with an audiobook. So true. <laughs> All right. So the first place that we visit is Ignite Christian Collective, the mega church. And this megachurch, I feel like, is a great depiction of every megachurch that ever existed on the face of the planet. They have a coffee shop. It's basically a shopping mall. The pastor has this book. What is the name of this book? I got to remember. It's like, live your best life now or something like that. Claim your happiness. (laughs) You ever been to a church like that? Yes. (laughs) How was that experience? It's it's one of those things where I always, in some ways, I prefer it because if a church is not going to be warm and convicting and all the things it's supposed to be, it could at least be entertaining and flashy. <laughs> and so, like, I would rather go there and feel cold but entertained than, than some place with pews and hymns and feel cold there. So, Oof. now that's real grass. <laughs> That's so true, though. And Ryan is not in a good place when he shows up to this church. He's dealing with his brother's death. He's grieving. The only way reason he's there is because he made a promise to his brother. And so when this hip young pastor gets up there and is like, you don't have to be sad. You just claim your happiness. Just, uh, I hate that. It's like low-key manifestation in a Christian church, which is really sketchy. And Ryan's like, (laughs) right. I will say so much of this book is commentary on the modern Christian church. It's like, you might think, oh, if it's a Christian book, it's going to sit here and bash people who are not Christian. That's not true at all. 
It is a huge commentary on everything that is wrong with the modern Christian church uh, and things that it could do better, which is one of the reasons I like it so much is because it's not afraid to say, hey, this is not okay. You're not helping anybody here. And it certainly didn't help Ryan, who gets up and challenges the pastor and then gets hit in the head with a falling projector. Yep. <laughs> what a great first visit to what the church. What a great. And it was like, put him out of his misery. <laughs> I was like, finally, we got through that part. Right. Unfortunately, his dream only lasts 3.24 seconds. No. I bet he wished it lasted a lot longer than that. Oh, man. I know. But for a dream that only lasts 3.24 seconds, it feels like a lifetime. And our journey with Ryan also feels like a lifetime. So the first place he ends up in the dream is the City of Destruction. What is going on in the City of Destruction? Um, well, volcanic activity. Um, <laughs> it's like Sodom and Gomorrah when you really should be like not looking back and out of the city, but instead people are just eating cheese. <laughs> but bread and cheese man it's so good it's so good i craved bread and cheese so much while i was reading this book right that's some oh. subliminal belt messaging there i loved how even though the church was so imperfect like so deeply imperfect it his obedience for going there was honored yeah in taking him on this adventure that like god came and got him <laughs> right I, yeah, I appreciate that. I love that. And while he's in the city of destruction, he finds this book. And it's so powerful. It draws him right in. It is poetic. It's beautiful. It has life messages. And at the very end, there's a picture of himself with a meteor coming at him. It's like the oh. Babylon B prophecy. <laughs> Dang it, the Babylon B. Okay, so I have two things about this book. Clearly, it's an allegory for the Bible, but is it also an allegory for the original Pilgrim's Progress? Man, would that I be wild? Because right, it's yeah, there's a lot of commentary on the book itself. Because wasn't there like a chapter that's like Bunyan or something to yeah. or something like that? It's Inception. It is. It's Bookception. Bookception. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, there's so many little nuggets like that throughout this book that I love so much. Um, so Ryan gets the book. He's like trying to tell people, hey, your city is about to be destroyed. You know, get out of here. Trying to warn them like. Noah warned everybody, and of course, nobody listens. The mayor's super shady. He knows what's going on, but he doesn't care. And the only person who believes him is Radical. So he and Radical leave the city and watch it be destroyed as they leave for Depression Bog. And that's about as far as I want to get before I hit the spoiler warning in case you want to read it, because it gets crazy after this. And I think we've covered everything on the back of the book, too. So you kind of get the feeling that there's going to be more. Is there anything you want to tell everybody before we hit that final spoiler warning? If you read the original and you didn't like it, 
that's not an excuse to not read this one because I didn't like it either. This one was really good. (laughs) Like we were saying earlier, the original was written for its time. This one is written for our time. And I think that's really important. And we're going to get into some things that really hit home. And I really hope everybody reads it. I hope some of you have already read it. Has anybody in the chat actually read it before? Let's see. I haven't checked the chat yet today. Oh, we should say that if you have the physical copy, the little chapter header arts are done by our friend Strangeland Elf on Twitter, which is a fun Easter egg. That is such a fun Easter egg. I totally forgot about that. So shout out to Strangeland Elf for doing the awesome little pieces of art that are in the book. I love that. All right, let's go ahead. And this is your warning. So if you want to read the book and you don't want any spoilers, run away now. All right, now we can get into it. Yeah. If you're still here and and you don't want to be, I don't know. It's it's too late now. You're trapped. Yep, too late now. He's never heard of that breaks my heart. Though that low-key doesn't surprise me because I tried to go to the bookstore and find it. Can't find it there. Uh, I ended up ordering it online from their website directly. And PJ and I had talked about this in our uh 10 books for conspiracy theorists, which you guys should check out on the Hawkhound channel. Um, But you should, especially for books like this that are kind of slowly being banned, uh, you should get the hard copy. Uh, Audible's great. I can't recommend the audiobook enough. That's the way I read it the first time. But you are kind of renting it if for whatever reason they decide to take it off Audible, you don't get to keep it anymore. Yeah. yeah, and if you don't have the physical book, you don't get Laurel's art. So that's a good point too. All right, so now Ryan and Radical are in Depression Bog. So Depression Bog kind of reminds me of the Swamp of Sadness from the Neverending Story. Did you ever watch or read the Neverending Story? That was just a weird gap in my childhood. I know I should have. It's a weird. it's a weird movie like the animatronic creatures are really weird and kind of it kind of scared me as a kid especially depression bog because atreyu or atreyu's horse dies and i like cried forever about it because i was a horse girl when i was a kid so i like didn't even want to finish that movie but that's what depression bog reminds me of (laughs) don't fax me says elf art is good yes it's interesting because that's the problem he walked into the church with. So it's the first one he sees outside of the city of destruction. Um, Ooh. And it's where radical is radical. <laughs> I mean, he's radical. He was so on board with Ryan to go on the journey down the King's road. And then as soon as it got hard, he's like, nah, man, I'm going to go back for the bread and cheese. And Ryan's like, but it's on fire. But yeah, bread and cheese. The absurdity, I think that it was in the original, but because of how it's written, for me, I didn't get it. When I, mm-hmm. But you can, you can feel it here, just the sheer absurdity of, of all of the things, but you can still get the points that are being made. 
100%. So, yeah. Ryan starts sinking in the bog. Radical's like, nah, man. Cuts the rope. Runs away on him. And then up pulls the smiling preacher. (laughs) Which, you talk about the absurdity. It's like, your buddy just ran away from you. Here comes this guy in this fancy car. He's perfectly clean. Has the world's whitest teeth. And is like, hey, man. All you gotta do is claim it, you know, Get out of that bog. <laughs> like, what? It's, it's it's so absurd. You look at it and you're like, no one would ever act like this in real life, but they do. Christians are so sanitized. They act like this in real life all the freaking time where they look at someone who's in a desperate amount of pain and this, they just say, I'll pray for you. They, can't, they don't even have the decency to sit there like Job's friends in silence. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's all that's like, required just say i see what it is you're going through i have absolutely no legitimate answer to offer you but i'll sit with you right i appreciate the analogy to job's friends because i think so often that's what we want when they're we're in that middle of that grief and that depression and so many people just don't know how to handle one another when we're in that grief and when we're in that depression it's easier to say i'll pray for you What's more offensive, I think, is to be like, hey, you know, you just got to change your perspective about it. Just claim your happiness. You don't have to be sad. You're choosing to be sad. Ooh, that burns You're a bad Christian. You're a bad Christian. (laughs) Or my favorite is when people, my my favorite, my favorite Mm -hmm. is when people put a time frame on your healing. So they will sit with you for a small period of time. And when you don't get better on their time frame, then they'll walk away. So it's like they'll stay until you need them. And I feel like that's kind of what Radical does is he he stays just long enough for Kristen to be relying on him to help him. And then he's like, bye. That's a really good point. And sometimes other Christians will not only put a time frame on your sadness, but say, well, it could be worse. Like, thanks. Imagining it being worse is definitely helping me right now. Right? It's like, oh, yes, knowing other people have greater suffering is helping my suffering right now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, man. From PJ. I love the way they talk about bread and cheese in the book. Felt very much like a Kyle thing. That's 100% true. This book made me feel very seen as somebody who has been in church my entire life, been incredibly hurt by it, still hold my faith, but have a really hard time being in church and to have people who feel the exact same way or seem to at least know how to sit there and be like, we see it. We absolutely see it. And we can describe it in this much detail is is really validating. It really is uh, because I've had a lot of problems with the modern church. A lot of the problems that were described in this, you were saying earlier, you know, I'd rather be in that exciting mega church than sit in a cold, small church. I grew up in that small, cold church, and it's very painful. It's painful when they put on this front that they care about you when you they really don't. Uh, And they'll find your back or say things behind your back. Uh, It can be very painful. And this book, like you said, is very validating for those feelings. And Very convicting, I think, if you're someone who is 
a leader in a church like that or a figurehead in a church like that, maybe you could read this and be like, um, maybe I should do something about that. Yep. Uh, so the smiling preacher tells him to get himself out of the bog just by willing it. And when Ryan's like, dude, can you just help me, please? And the smiling preacher's like, nah, you got to help yourself. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps, as they say, and then drives off. And finally, Faith comes along, the companion. I love Faith. I like that she was a girl. I like I like that this very, like, very conservative Christian pair of guys decided to gender bend a character because this one makes sense to gender bend. I agree. And it's very role fulfilling. I feel like, like you said, it makes sense to gender bend. Oftentimes in a marriage, you know, you're always trying to support one another through trials. They even make the comparison to the road as being intertwined, like husband and wife always leading uh, certain paths, completing one another. And I think Faith and Ryan do that very well. They're not in any romantic relationship at all, but there's some sort of completeness there where she falters, he tries to help her. Where he falters, she helps him. Uh, it's very much a balance there. And I liked that a lot. Do you think faith is a choice or an emotion? Mm. Because I have always had people insist to me it's a choice, but I think obedience is a choice. Faith, I don't, I don't know how you could force yourself to choose it if you didn't have it. Like, it's just something you, I don't know. I think that is a tough one because in times where things have been very bad in my life, I felt like my faith was very weak. I felt the need to pray more. I felt the need to yell at God, all those things. I didn't feel very strong in my faith. Mm -hmm. Um And it was only in times where I felt like things were going good that I felt strong in my faith, but people would tend to say the opposite. If you're talking to God when things are bad, maybe you are strong in your faith. So I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe it's the wrong question. You Mm. said it's a good one. I'm like, no, it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it's, I don't think it is just a choice. Maybe it's, maybe emotions, the wrong thing, but I think that you can shoot. I've talked to people who, who are trying so hard to will themselves to choose. Mm. To, and I think you can be faithful. You choose to be faithful, right? But, like, spoilers. I mean, he can't keep faith alive. Yeah, he can't do it. I mean, that was true in the original too. It's not something he can just choose to do, no matter how much he wants to. Right. And that that is more real grass stuff. We will get to. But I think that's a good question for us to simmer on. Maybe we can find some sort of answer as we get to the end. I don't know. That's a heavy question. Um, so Faith is with him throughout the journey. They get back on the road. And Faith tells him of this disease called the hollow plague. And this disease hits home for Ryan because this is basically a disease that hollows people out, turns them transparent and kind of into zombies. And you could kind of see the correlation to cancer there. He's thinking of his younger brother who died of cancer. I wonder if it's also a correlation to sin, 
how it kind of hollows you out and makes you a slave to sin. And because the hollow ones can't access the king, um, they hate the king. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I think cancer has always been an allegory for sin. Mm. That's so interesting because it's not like we can control cancer. We can try not to sin, but we always fail. It's, yeah. And it doesn't really stay in one little place, does it? You get cancer and if you don't deal with it, it will go everywhere. You can't pretend like you just have, I just have a little porn problem. I have it over here in this corner. I'm a good Christian. I just have a little porn problem. No, it's going to get in your bloodstream. It's going to get everywhere. It's going to be in your bone marrow. It's going to be it's going to be in your blood. It's going to be everywhere. It is going to be everywhere. It literally eats you alive, just like cancer eats you alive. And I, I really love what Faith says here. I wish we knew why the king allowed the plague. They say he's powerful enough to end it with a clap or a shout or a blast of the trumpet, and yet we suffer. But still, there must be some reason we have to have faith. And I I think about that a lot. I mean, God could keep us from sinning. God could keep the terrible things that happen in the world from happening, but he doesn't. And that's a problem all Christians, I think, have to struggle through. And I don't know if we ever come to a really good answer on how to deal with that. The only one I've ever been satisfied with is the same reason why we have to have physical pain. People who who have no physical pain, people who have leprosy or whatever, um, are in so much more trouble because they can't, they don't have any warning that something is wrong. And mm-hmm. so they live this great, great life where they don't have pain, but actually they're just hurting themselves. And I think that it was necessary for God to bake something in when after the fall, we needed something to tell us something is wrong. We needed something right. to be constantly like, no, no, something's wrong here. You need to you need to pay attention because I think if we didn't have pain and suffering in a fallen world, we would just never, we would never seek God. There would never be a reason to realize that anything was off. That's a really good point because I think so many times we find God in our worst sufferings. I know that's so cliche to say, but Whenever in my life I've been in that dark place, I'm so desperate to get out of that place. I will talk to God about anything. I'll beg God to relieve me of that pain. I'll be angry at God (laughs) because the pain exists, but I'm talking to him at that point. Whereas when things are going good, maybe I'm not talking to him so often. Um, A lot of people know, but I have pretty serious chronic pain issue in my my neck and it's flared up pretty badly right now. So I'm thinking about it a little bit more, but it it is a constant reminder not to get too attached to the the body I'm in, the life I'm in. It's just a reminder that like, I'm going to have something better someday and I can look forward to that um, and don't get too lost in success or whatever my happiness is here on earth. I think that's a very important reminder. Um, And I hate that you're going through that. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) We're all getting to know each other very well today. All right. So let's talk about the King's Road. So the King's Road could be an allegory for a few things, I think. Definitely an allegory for following God. 
Um, we think about the road less traveled. You definitely want to be following God, not all the places other people want to go. Um, trying to stay out of sin. They say, you know, always stay on the road. If you don't stay on the road, bad things are going to happen. And they don't stay on the road and bad things happen. Uh, I, <laughs> I like this one part because they literally come to a fork in the road. And there's this dark, spooky place. And then there's ha- this happy, glowy place. And Ryan's like, uh, you know, I watch too much Disney. I'm just going to follow my heart and go to the nice, happy side. And that was totally the wrong choice. Yep. Because Disney is a liar. Disney is a liar. Disney is a lot of things. But we'll save that for another time. <laughs> uh, and while they're in that happy side of the road where bad things start to happen, he meets the devil. Uh, the way that uh, they describe the devil in this makes me think of Voldemort if he was wearing a business outfit. Yes. <laughs> This whole encounter, I just loved it so much. I did too. Because it's so careless. Yes. It's not hateful the way that you would expect an encounter with the devil to be. It's just so casually cruel and careless. Yeah. He's so creepy and emotionless. And it's not like he does anything. He doesn't like draw pentagrams. He doesn't have a horn and a tail. It's like nothing you think of as the classic spooky devil stuff. He just tries to get Ryan to say the one wrong word in a spell to send him back home. That's all it takes. But just, but not to send him home to kill him. But not to send him home. It's to like, send him over a plateau or split him in half or something crazy like that. Yeah. I'll and like of course, <laughs> <laughs> there's so many parts like this that are just like so funny when you reflect back on it. Right. I like alternated between ow and ah. That's <laughs> And it's, I think it's exactly that which makes it such real grass is that in, in the great divorce, the grass is so beautiful. It's it's exactly where you want to be. It, the problem is not the grass. It's you. Like, mm-hmm. you are not real enough for it. And uh, the the range between laughter and, and pain was so... It was, I would call it whiplash if it wasn't so honest. Yeah. I like that that you said not real enough because I definitely felt not real enough to be reading this book. I was like, why does this hurt so much? And it's so funny. You, you ever read The Velveteen Rabbit? Yes! Oh my gosh, I love this comparison. Those two together, The Great Divorce and The Velveteen Rabbit are like the master class. The, the Plato's Republic on how to be real. I love that. Consequently, Plato's Republic is also about being real. Right. <laughs> anyway, we are other so books off you base. should read. <laughs> I know. Okay, so they finally get to Chesterton's fence. I love this part. <laughs> I love that Chesterton's in this book, first of all. <laughs> and I love that there are just people from Twitter in this book. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yelling to tear down a fence that they don't even know why it's there. it's like ryan and faith come up and they're like why do you want to tear down the fence and the the protesters are like you're pro fence and start beating them up 
For those who don't know, Chesterton has this quote that I'm going to, it's, I don't know the quote exactly. Do you, you don't happen to have it, do you? Mm-mm. No, I don't. So he basically, he's like, I don't trust anyone to get rid of something if they don't understand why it was there. You need mm-hmm. to understand why something was there before you get rid of it. And then if you understand, go for it. If, if, if you understand that you don't need it. Right. But, but what happens when they tear down the fence? <laughs> this raging demonic bull comes out and slaughters them all. It's so graphic and it's hilarious. <laughs> and the narrator's like, I'm not going to tell you about the blood and guts and broken skulls. <laughs> that would be too graphic and proceeds to tell you all about it. Like, thanks, Kyle. <laughs> right. Oh, my gosh. It was so good. But, of course, because Ryan and Faith are there, they're not totally unscathed from the incident. Ryan is hurt by the bull, and the bull has, like, some sort of poison in its horn. So they got to deal with that really fast. And they stumble upon the house of Health and Wealth. Who is Health and Wealth? Sounds a little bit like... um all of the prosperity gospel, all of the health mm-hmm. and wealth gospel. And it, I, the, I think it aligns with, there's a, also a house he has to, he ends up staying at that it's very comfortable and it gives you all the answers that you want to hear. Mm-hmm. And it, it even fixes your immediate problem. Right. But it's still the wrong evil thing. It's still the wrong place to be. And it's, it it makes me think so much because it's like, well, how would I know if it feels so correct? Right. How would I know that I'm supposed to leave? You really feel, uh, this makes me think of people who are in like a really deep sin that is supported by the world. We think of things like uh, homosexuality, uh, adultery outside of marriage, uh, divorce, all the things that the world thinks, okay, you know, those things are fine. You do what's right for you. But we know those things are wrong deep down. Uh, and there's a reason for it as we come to find out. So health and wealth does fix Ryan. Uh, he lives in this giant house, has all of these wonderful things. He says he's going to make a trip to the Golden City one day. But he doesn't know how to carry all these possess- possessions. And one of the most important possessions he has is this painting that shows the person who's looking at it the deepest desires of their heart. Love what Faith sees when she looks. She's caught between seeing the Golden City and seeing herself as like this brave warrior surrounded by her family. And I felt very seen in that moment because, of course, I want my desire to be for God, but so much of my desire is also for the things of this world. And it's so hard. I know we can't serve two masters, but life is so hard. <laughs> It's um, it's the desires of your heart. It's like that verse that everybody misunderstands, where like, um, like if I just love the Lord, He'll give me the desires of my heart. And it's like, no, you need to. He'll give you the right desires. <laughs> like He'll right. He'll show you what you need to desire. That's a really good point because I've had so many people tell me that within the past couple of weeks. Um. Just dealing with all of the grief and stuff that I've been dealing with. It's like, oh, God will give you the desires of your heart. It's like, that's not what the 
that means? <laughs> Just because I want something doesn't mean God will give it to me. Uh, and that's definitely yeah. reflected here. It's the verses, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And it ends up being this manipulative thing. If If you misinterpret it, it's like, God, I'm enjoying you so much. Give me what I want. Right. You promise. You promise. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I hate that that happens. And I hate that we fall prey to that so easily. But there are so many things like that that we do fall prey to so easily. So that's what faith sees. But uh, the health and wealth kind of looks into it for just a split second. And she sees what he sees, and he's like standing on top of this giant pile of gold with blood all around it. Oh, it's super creepy. And she kind of starts to realize what he really is. And what he really is, is a demon. And I love their description of what a demon is, because I think this is probably the most real description of a demon. It's easier to describe what a demon feels like. Think of a time when you've lost something precious, a child, a spouse, a parent, or a sibling. Now think of a time when you felt the full weight of the guilt of sin crushing down on you. Now, out in that vaguely humanoid shape, that's what a demon looks like. They aren't really a specific color, not red or black or gray. They're absent, the absence of light, hope, and joy. They are the void itself. Ooh, I get chills reading that. <sighs> I, I, and yeah. yeah. You guys talk a lot about that kind of stuff on Conspiracy Pilled. Yeah. I We talk a lot about demons in the way that it appears that they interact with the world. And it's one thing I'm praying a lot about is just discernment between between the demons. I, I don't know why this feels important to me that I understand who is who and what they're doing, but I really want to understand is this one. I, I like how in, in this story, each bad guy is specific and they're each mm -hmm. doing a specific thing. And maybe that's not how the real world works and maybe I shouldn't want it to be, but right. I do want to understand the enemy. I mean, when you understand your enemy, you're better equipped to fight against it. And if we understand what our enemy is after, then we're better equipped to defend ourselves against it. Uh, I like what Sunflower and Michelle said, definitely got chills. That realm terrifies me. It's terrifying. And it's terrifying because we know it is real. So many people today will play with Ouija boards and write these very, very scary movies and play around with things they don't understand, not realizing just how real it is. And they're inviting something truly horrific into their lives. And that's what Faith sees. She sees something truly horrific. Fortunately, Chesterton is just around the corner to save them. He shines some light on health and wealth and he dissolves for a little while, just enough time to get them out so they can get back on the road and head to the city of Evangelion. Ooh, this city was real grass. He's just a character. Chester just right. gets to be here. <laughs> That's kind of like in The Great Divorce. Um, what was his name? Uh, George MacDonald, the poet, got to be yeah. just a character in The Great Divorce. I love that. 
which is which is so interesting that we keep referencing the great divorce and they did too like this is such a solid reference i don't believe that it wasn't intentional it had to be Uh, i see what don't vax me said my sister is a wiccan i can't be around her i feel the energy i'm very sorry for that um i feel for anybody who has a family member who is lost in that way that must be very painful um both for you and for your sister, because who knows what she is going through in such a dark place. I find, I find witches are very interesting because in some ways there are things that they understand that the church refuses to understand and they understand it from the wrong perspective, but they are looking at it, which is something (laughs) the sanitized churches will not do. So there's definitely a, powerful story to come from people who used to be in uh, witchcraft and Wiccanry and the occult and have come out of that because they've seen it. I think Michael Knowles did a really awesome interview with, uh, I can't remember if she was a Wiccan or an uh, astrologist or something, or not astrologist. She was in that realm. I think she right. was into a lot of things. Um, but if you haven't seen that interview, that's a really good one. If you're interested in that, Uh, side of things yeah so now they're in the city of evangelion i think this city was hardcore real grass for me especially coming from the church that i grew up in because here all they do is study they just really want to know the book they want to know all the commentary on the book they want to know what so-and-so said about the book and it's a it's a very comfortable city everybody here is very nice they get all the food that they want um but it's really easy to get comfortable and stop walking on the road. Yeah. And they never actually saw a copy of the book in Evangeline, despite how much it was being studied ostensibly. Uh, I wonder how, how, how many churches that happens in. how many churches are just like saying all of these things, you know, Joel Osteen said this, uh, but never once crack open the Bible for themselves. I'm sure plenty of Christians do that. They'll listen to all these Christian podcasts. They'll listen to Christian music. But do they themselves ever take the time to open the Bible? I know I've gone through seasons like that. Um, It's a very tempting thing to fall into. Yeah. And I think there are so many reasons why people get lost in it or – get lost like that but i think ultimately it's because the bible itself is real grass and it becomes too painful for people who do not wish to be real yeah that is so true so one of the characters here in evangelion is mr theology um he basically leads them around the city gives them everything they need he does equip them with swords which is kind of nice because those come or one of them comes in handy later um one of the most more interesting characters, I think, here is Mr. Political Engagement, who wants to it's restrict. Twitter again. <laughs> it's Twitter again. Well, it, I think it's also some types of Christians because this character wants to restrict what some of the pilgrims can do, like how they can dress, how they can speak, the way they can walk on the road. Like, do you walk on one foot or both feet? Like, <laughs> it's like. 
some of these, I don't know, some of these Christians who are more concerned with how you look and how you present yourself. And there is something to be said about, you know, dressing nice for church. You want to present yourself before the Lord as best you can, but you don't want to shun people from your church just because they're in jeans and a t-shirt, or maybe they look a little ragged and they just got off from a 16 hour shift and they drag themselves in by the seat of their pants, you know? This might be controversial, but I think that if if church is going to be business casual, they should just say so yeah. on their websites or whatever, because having these unspoken rules for somebody that you don't know until you're there feeling completely out of place and not good enough to be there. Like, I don't understand why we do that. I, I get the concept of like, we should look our best for God, but like, is that really the important thing is that really what right. we what we want to be doing because isn't the point that we don't have to get dressed up for god isn't the point that we we aren't putting on a different face i i think that even the whole action of getting into this rut that you don't do for the rest of the week gives you this impression that I'm doing something special that I don't have to do the rest of the week, which is to be engaged with God and his community. So I don't know. I've never, ever since I was a kid, I've always thought that was stupid. (laughs) Sorry. No. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to totally agree with you here, Abby. I've always thought it was weird. Uh, I didn't grow up particularly well off like a whole bunch of other people or I wouldn't even say a whole bunch of other people, a whole bunch of other people, maybe where I grew up, I'll say. Um, So I was not as well dressed as uh, maybe the other folks around me. And that just makes you feel really small. And that's not the point of church. I mean, you can feel convicted in your sin, but that comes from God. I don't think that should come from the people around you. I don't know. We're going off on a lot of tangents tonight, but I love it. Um, so there's also Mr. Legalist, who kind of does something similar to Miss, uh, Mr. Political Engagement. But the big character here is Pastor. So Pastor kind of wakes Ryan and Faith up from what's going on, takes them to the catacombs underneath the city, and shows them the mass graves. Mm. Yeah, everyone who died there saying that they were going to go, saying they cared about going, but never went. Right. And I think that is so easy for us to fall into. We say we want to follow God. We say we want to do these things, but they're just words. Until we put that faith into action, they're just words, you know. And it's so easy to live your life comfortably and never live for God, just go to church on Sundays, maybe only even go to church on Christmas and Easter and say, I was a pretty good person. And then that's it. Yeah. And it's really I think sad. a lot of people don't even know how to put their faith into action because their churches are not giving, not remotely providing any pathways besides make sure you tithe, make sure you give us your money. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, again, this book is heavy commentary on the modern church, I think. And it doesn't stop there. So they eventually escape. They get into the Black Muck Woods where they meet Mrs. Deconstruction and Mr. System, who are very interesting characters. Yes. 
Um, so Mrs. Deconstruction has a book that says, forget everything you know and listen to me because I'm the first person to really figure it out. <laughs> Every self-help book ever. Twitter. Yes. Again. Again. <laughs> you can tell these guys spend a lot of time on Twitter because <laughs> Twitter. It's great. So, But they give them some shelter for the night. And then the next day, they're like, okay, so we know a way for you to read the book that's better. And they give them these tools. There's a glass lens that basically makes everybody look ugly. I think it maybe reveals your sin to yourself. I don't know what it is. But it removes parts of the book, which is weird. It, like, blurs out parts of the book, makes you read it in a weird way. And then they have the shears called an analytical tool, which they basically use to cut out parts of the book. And my favorite one is the whip, which is the implicit bias remover. <laughs> Helps remind you of your shortcomings. Yeah, talk about Twitter. Yeah, I maybe I'm wrong with the glass lens, but it seems like that whole Satan's the accuser thing. Mm. It, it makes you judgmental of yourself and everyone around you and removes important pieces of the grace story. I like that. Yeah. I was kind of confused by the lens, but you saying that. Makes I could be wrong, sense. though. I was just, <laughs> I, I was a little, was unsure as well. We need Kyle and Joel in the chat to tell us what it means. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, so they're like, okay, no thanks. And they try to leave, but all of the followers of Mrs. Deconstruction and Mr. System come out of the woodwork and they're like whipping themselves and yelling, cancel them. I was like, oh my gosh. It kind of reminds, have you ever seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? I haven't seen any movies ever. (laughs) Okay. Well, there are these like people in hoods that like hit themselves on the book (laughs) and chant. It's like, it just reminded me of that. Maybe some folks in the chat have seen it. Um, And they're like, this is not okay. So One of them starts to attack Ryan, and Ryan pulls out his really gaudy sword, and it breaks immediately. That's what he gets for picking the really shiny sword. (laughs) So then he uses face sword, and that works out. Oh, man. Um. What Pastor did give to them was a little slip of paper, and he said, use it in your hour of greatest need. And so Ryan's like, oh, maybe it'll be a magic spell. Pulls it out. Guess what it says on it? Walk forward. Walk forward. How about that? That comes up a lot, like we said. He's like, you have got to be kidding me. I would be like, you have got to be kidding me if I heard that for the 5,000th time and I was tired of hearing it. Like, how dare you give me the one thing I need to do and don't want to do? <laughs> right? Oh, again, real grass. God always giving us the one thing we need to do and we don't want to do it. Because the but, right way is always the path of most resistance. <laughs> Why do we resist so hard? I don't understand it. Why does it have to be so hard? Because we hate ourselves. <sighs> we do. I hate that we do. I hate myself for hating myself. It's the worst. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, welcome to the stream, everybody. Uh, so the next place they get to is the Great Plateau where the slippery slopes are. This one's really on the nose. <laughs> it's a literal slippery slope that people are sliding down going, wee. 
that cracks me up so much. And the two characters who meet Ryan and Faith along this path are good times and actually. Not like actually, but actually. Actually. And they're like, the slippery slope is a total fallacy, man. Just get on it. You don't need to be on the road. And at the bottom of the slopes, I think, are just like really terrible places. I can't remember what's going on in them. But you don't want to go down the slippery slope. I love that there's not just like one slippery slope. It's like one point up here and it's it's, it's like both sides. Because I've always felt like it was a pyramid. Like there's you could go any direction and it's a slippery slope. It's, it's a knife edge that you need to be walking on. That's a good point. I know. <laughs> there's a left slippery slope and a right slippery slope. How about that? How about that? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> um, and Ryan and Faith are finally getting the idea. Maybe they should stay on the road. Uh, there's <laughs> how about that? There's talk of these archers who will shoot you down and explode you into a million pieces if you try to stay on the road instead of going on the slippery slope. And they see that happen to some of the followers of Mrs. Deconstruction and Mr. System. And they start to be like, mm, I don't know about that. But Faith is like, no, no, let's just stay on the road. And they slowly start to walk and they make it across. So this is one, I don't know, I get kind of confused on. Why is it that they could walk on the road, but not the followers of Mrs. Deconstruction and Mr. System? Why do they get hit with the exploding arrows? It seems like if we're drawing a through line to wokeism, wokeism is its own religion that is very strict. And it says you need to feel guilty and you need to feel judgmental and you need to fix all these things about yourself. So they are also trying to walk on a knife edge. Mm-hmm. Right? But it's it's all wrong. Nothing about it is right. And so, of course, they're going to get shot down because even the peak of what they think. That's how I I took it mm-hmm. of just like you are just in a completely false religion. So, of course, you're going to get shot. But it, if you're, the arrows are not coming from the bad guys in this case. I mean, that's a good point because, like we were saying earlier, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve wokeism and God. And if you're trying to apply wokeism to Christianity, I mean, it's not going to work out. One will succumb to the other. And for them, it was probably wokeism that was taking over for them. And they were never going to make it. And so they had to come to grips with that in a very explosive manner. So they finally get to the through the Great Plateau, past the slippery slopes where everyone's having a good time and they're walking and enduring it all and it's very painful. And they get to Paradox Peak. Uh, and they see a very beautiful sight in front of them. When they get to the top of the peak, they see a wooden cross. And Ryan kind of has this feeling that he's seen it before. And I don't know, that was very powerful for me uh, in that moment. But on their journey up the peak, they kind of look behind them and they see that everything is being consumed in brimstone and fire. Now it's no longer just the city of destruction. Everything is being destroyed. So it's very much an end timesy sort of scene. You see the end coming up to catch up to them. And they need to hurry up to the Golden City. I love this because it is not in the original at all. Yeah, But it is so appropriate for our times because it really does feel like this is your last chance to make this 
journey. Like everything is coming to an end. All this is this is it. Right. I mean, whether we're living in end times or not, we only have one life to live. I mean, yeah. <laughs> everything that's in the past is burned behind us. So it does feel like we're living in the end times, just knowing what I know about revelation and hearing what you guys have talked about on conspiracy pilled, which is a great podcast. You should go subscribe. Um, but all of I those agree. things. <laughs> it's a great idea. <laughs> Definitely. Do <laughs> but yeah, a very powerful scene. And one of the characters they meet while they're on paradox peak is Mr. Loved by the world. Uh, who's a very interesting character. I think is very emblematic of a lot of, Christians we meet on social media or even just at our church who want to be liked by everybody, who want to do the right thing, who don't want to offend anybody. Maybe we've even done this ourselves at some point. Uh, I'm sure I've done that myself at some point where you kind of concede things that you want to do just to be liked by someone. So here he's going on his way to through the road. Some hollow ones are like, turn back. You don't want to do this way. You're a bigot if you keep walking. And he's like, oh, okay, I'll just turn around because I want the hollow ones to like me. <laughs> Even though they're not pilgrims, okay, you know, not following and the And they're actively dying. They're it, act- this is another one of those, the absurdism of it is so striking until you realize it's literally what people do. So much of the church today is doing this instead of recognizing that these people are literally dying in front of them, they would rather join them and be liked by them than take the way out or try to bring somebody with them. Right. I love that line from Cody. If you aren't offending people, you're a horrible human. That's such a good way to put it. (laughs) It is such a good way to put it. Especially if, you believe in God. And if you believe in Jesus, I mean, Christianity by its own nature is offensive because you're saying everybody is wrong and everybody is sinful. Yeah. Anyone would feel offended by that, especially if you feel like you're trying to live a good life, but that's kind of the point. You should be offended that by that. In fact, you should feel bad about that. But there's the, the few times where I have the courage to like really witness to somebody in a, in a really specific way. I'm like, I would have to hate you not to tell you. And I we don't we don't admit that. Like if we yeah. really think people are going to hell, we would have to hate them to sit there pointing and laughing and watching them go and owning them on Twitter for likes. That is such a good point. And again, hashtag real grass. <laughs> <laughs> I said we were gonna say that a lot and we totally are. Um but you're right, because it's like if I had the cure to cancer in my hand and I could give it to you to cure the cancer that you had. I, we know the cure to sin. The cure to sin is Jesus. We have that. And if you're not telling people about him, you're basically condemning people to die of in their own sin. I don't know. It's painful. We're kind of like Jonah, who's like, I would just, I'm just going to sit here and watch the city burn because I, I don't actually want anybody to repent. That would be uh, Jonah, awful. Is, <laughs> Jonah is so much more a deeper character than we learn in Sunday school when we're like 12. He's a jerk. I get him so much. Oh, I, yeah. 
I relate so hard. I'm like, I, I just want to sit here and own them and tell them how it is. I don't want anyone to actually feel bad about themselves and turn around. That's so uncomfortable. Jonah's so real to us. He's so emblematic of us, I feel like. Oh, that was a that was a bunny trail. That was a bunny trail. Mr. Okay. Love by the world. Yeah, that's where we were. Yep. And then they get to the top of the peak. They see the wooden cross and then they head down the peak. And they end up in the Valley of Doubt where they meet another favorite character of mine, Mr. Neckbeard, who is Twitter. Wait, can we go back one second? What was the peak? Like, what was the paradox? Remind me. Um, So while they're up on the peak, they see, I think the paradox is meeting Mr. Love by the world, that you want to love God and follow God, but at the same time, you want other people to like you. And that's a paradox you can't fulfill. Okay, yeah, and a moment to kind of look back at where they've come. It's like a mountaintop mm-hmm. moment yeah. to to see what's in front and see what's behind. Okay, all right, makes Mister Neckbeard. Mister Neckbeard. <laughs> it, yeah, like I said, he's very emblematic of Twitter. He hates the king despite knowing everything there is to know about the king. Doesn't think the king is real. Thinks the road arose by natural causes sound like anyone you've talked to on twitter before (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh tries to convince our heroes that the king isn't real uh the footnote (laughs) i have to read this footnote because it's really really good the footnotes are so funny the footnotes are so funny uh i don't know if we've even mentioned the fact that there are footnotes footnotes are little insertions by the narrator it's not like a citation or anything it's the narrator talking to you this is where he'll say things like oh wait was that a spoiler <laughs> and things like <laughs> and they blend together so well in the audiobook i didn't realize there were footnotes until i got a paper copy of the book <laughs> um so this footnote says that there are these message carrying sparrows that are the main means of long-distance communication in the dying lands, enabling people to scream and argue to their heart's content with people they've never met. I can't imagine why anyone would waste their life doing that. It's literally Twitter. Literally Twitter. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. Uh, but Mr. Neckbeard has a lot going on. You learn that he and his friends have traveled the road for a long time he's lost people along the way and this is called the valley of doubt for a reason he's come to this place a very dark place inside himself where he's just lost all his faith um and he doesn't want other he feels like he doesn't want other people to fall into the same trap that he fell into he doesn't want other people to feel that same suffering and you can kind of see where he's coming from like if you believed in something with all of your heart and then followed it and fell into despair. Wouldn't you want other people to not feel that way too? So many of the people who are the most powerful voices against the church have been people who have, who were once incredibly invested. And for whatever reason they were hurt, they burnt out, something happened, something happened. And and now they're hateful and desperate to, convince themselves they made the right choice walking away and to get people to join them. And some of that 
motivation is really understandable. And some of it's really evil, to be honest. Right. I mean, it is because you can think of all of this people. I mean, we all know there's all these sexual scandals within the church, be it Catholic or Protestant. And the people who've experienced those things, you could imagine them walking away from the church. I could imagine being in that place, being so abused by people we're supposed to respect. But at the same time, we know that the devil is using those moments as a weapon against the church and against God. And it's really sad, sad for the people who experience such hurt and abuse, but also sad for their souls because you know they're kind of turning their back on the one thing that would truly give them peace. Right. Um, And so they keep walking and they eventually get mauled by hollow ones because they've been walking so long. They're at the end of their rope. They're pretty weak. They're dragged off to this place and thrown into cages. Over Ryan's cage, it says despair. And over Faith's cage, it says weak. This was very painful. Like There were so many books in that, this, so many places in this book that were very painful. And this was a painful part. This is um, coming up against the the original book has, they're in the castle of the giant despair that they've Mm -hmm. been taken by this giant because they went off the path. And I think it's interesting that this retelling has it happen on the path. It's not, it's not a punishment. Right. It is a natural, it is a natural course of the path. Other people have walked Mm -hmm. it before and had the exact same. It's like, you have to go through this thing and it's not a punishment. And when I read the original book, I was like, this is a punishment. I hate it. Like if he had just done everything right, he could have avoided this. Nope. You can do everything right and not avoid this. I, I really like this change because you could do everything right in your faith and and you can't avoid the suffering. You right. can't avoid despair. You can't avoid feeling weak in your faith. And that's what makes it real grass. It is painful because it doesn't matter how well we're walking in our faith. We are not free to escape that suffering. If Jesus was not free to escape his own suffering, if the apostles were not free to escape their suffering, who are we to think that we can escape ours and not carry our own cross? I and think that that's, sorry. Finish no, sentence. God. <laughs> so much of the problem with, with Christianity is that so many people get into Christianity because they are in pain and they want a way to force God to make it stop. If I do X, Y, and Z, the world will be sanitized for me. I can pretend this stuff doesn't exist. I can explain away this stuff. I can kind of toxic positivity my way through my suffering. And instead of just It's such a lie. Like, that's mm-hmm. not what Christianity is. That's not what God ever promised. And I think that that's why it is so cold in those churches, because you you walk in and it's like, it's not true. Whatever you're worshiping, it's not my God. And I know we call him the same name, but it's not. You're You're worshiping a prosperity God. You're worshiping whatever it is, but I don't recognize it. Real God is so much more real than we can imagine. He is literal being itself. And to even be close to that literal being, we have to recognize that life isn't perfect. And yeah, it's going to be painful. But, you know, he didn't pull Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fire. He sat in there with them. 
Right. I think so many people give up on Christianity because they expect it to be different. And it's not because they're lied to from the beginning. And it's like, oh, I remember a a period of, you know how the Doctor Who changes his face Mm -hmm. sometimes? I remember when I realized God wasn't who I thought he was. And it was like Doctor Who had just completely changed his face. And I was like, am I going to accept that like this is the same person? And it's always been the same person. I've just perceived him the wrong way. I've I've right. been friends with this really young, vibrant Doctor Who, and and he turns out he's really old and sad, and that's okay. Um, this analogy is terrible. Analogy it, so much. It made so much sense to me in college because it it was a it was a breaking yeah. point. I was like, I I'm either going to lose my faith, or I'm going to recognize that the God I believe in is very different from who I thought he was. And I have to just, I can accept him and continue or not. And I did. It was really painful though. It's a painful thing to recognize, but I think that's part of growing in our faith. We were talking about earlier, is faith a feeling or is it an action? And I wonder now if it's both because you had to choose at that point, were you going to keep believing or were you not? And maybe at the beginning you kind of had to, choose it and then eventually it became an emotion maybe faith is something we act upon for a little while and then it becomes more natural i don't know yeah someone left a comment earlier and i think i'm about to find it okay um yeah it was sunflower don't we all have at least some faith even at my worst moments i still had some and that reminded me we we all do have faith in something and i think it is a choice what we're going to believe in. Cause if I was going to stop having faith in God, I would have to choose to move it over to myself. Right. Or something else. Right. And so I, that's probably the choice point. I like that. PJ's right. This podcast is real grass, which is why you should take this moment to like, and subscribe to lit. So you PJ can get more real, real grass. <laughs> PJ is real grass. He's got real grass on his face. Yeah. Just grow it out <laughs> of his head. <laughs> So weird. <laughs> so weird. Oh, okay. So off that tangent, uh, Humanus comes and saves them from the cages by telling them just to open the cages. They weren't even locked. <laughs> like, I love how these awful characters who are completely wrong come along and actually help. Yes. For a minute. For a minute. And that's what makes them so tempting. It's like you... A- you offered me actual help. You must be correct. I must. I should just continue to follow you. But they only have one. They only have one trick. Right. And humanist is the most nefarious of them all, I think, because he's like, you don't have to follow the path to be a good person. You don't have to stay on the king's road to do what's right. Humanism, of course, he's called humanist. Um, and he takes them to the city of Erbia. And this is where it gets all modern day. It is a city. There's lights. There's food as far as the eye can see. And because it's modern day, there's destigmatized sex work. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yay. Uh, <laughs> yay. Um, it's also very sad because in all of in all of this city of sin, so think of it like Las Vegas, they see Pastor here. What is Pastor up to? I, I didn't study for this quiz. <laughs> oh, it's okay. It's not a quiz. Uh, he He's walking out of a brothel. Oh, yeah. Because he, he was so, like, he's the strongest other character except mm-hmm. for them. And then it's just like at the moment they need 
he's just gone. Yeah. He's just gone. I forgot that part on purpose. Thanks you so much. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's it's a part you want to forget because it is it is real. And we know so many pastors in our own life who have failed us. We know so many people we look up to who have failed us. And that's a very powerful thing to have to deal with. Um and it's I hate so it. Accurate. It's so accurate to my experience of like relying on someone and then just watching them the, like uh, metaphorically walk out of a brothel. Like, oh my God, why? Yeah. It's terrible. Um, but they see all that and then, but there's also good things like they get food, they get bread and cheese. Yay, bread and cheese. More bread uh, and cheese. And they're promised a comfortable life. They can have a home. They can have a family. You know, they could live comfortably and stop this miserable walk, this miserable journey. And so Humanist takes them to the top of the tower. And this is where I wanted to stop reading. Me too. I was done. (laughs) Yeah. I was really done. Because what happens at the top of the tower? Faith. It's your podcast. You have to say it. Uh, I don't want to say it. Okay. <laughs> so this, there, a sacrifice has to be made for them to stay in the city. Because Faith notices something and all of the glitz and all of the glam. There are no children. There are no babies crying. It is only really adults around. And so this drone brings to humanists a baby. And like this thing opens up and there's this fiery furnace underneath and they literally sacrifice their own children to power the city. As if that's not what our society is doing right now. That is exactly what we're doing. Exactly. And they're like, Oh no, we got to get out of here. And they turn away. They refuse to sacrifice the child. And humanist pushes faith into the fire. And Ryan can't save her. And I wanted to quit reading after that. I was like, are we almost done? Because this sucks. This sucks. This goes back to what I was saying earlier about, because in the original, faith dies in in the castle of the giant despair. So a little bit earlier in the story. And I always thought it was a punishment you you went off the path, you get captured, and faith dies. Right. And that's what you get for being a terrible Christian. <laughs> and I don't think I, I don't remember if we actually said this, but faith has had the hollow disease this entire time. Yeah. Like in this story, faith was terminal from the moment he met her. She was right. always going to die. And I appreciate that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I because I do I do think that we all have a point where we have to go on without faith. Yeah. Hashtag real grass. Oh, and Joel and Kyle, you're the worst. Just to the show betrayal. how much they're the worst, <laughs> I have to read this footnote. I might cry. I'm not gonna oh. cry. I know what you're thinking. What about the baby? I wish I could tell you that Ryan dug deep and found the hero within him and saved the baby. I wish I could tell you the king himself appeared and unleashed his holy wrath upon those who would kill babies for the sake of convenience. But I can't. The world is a brutal place and evil is real. 
Children die, evil people kill them, and complacent people let them. Existence is full of suffering. Why does the king allow it? I don't know. Like I said, there are some books in the archives I'm not allowed to open. Hashtag real grass. Yeah. (laughs) The perspective of the angels is so interesting because on some level, they get it and they can kind Mm -hmm. of understand what the humans are going for. And sometimes the angelic perspective is is almost callous because they they don't understand because from their perspective, everything's kind of more funny. Which makes Cal such a perfect narrator because he's so funny. <laughs> right. Casual. I, this is completely retconned. It. We have no idea if Kyle's the one who wrote the narrator. This is our headcanon. So yeah. they could come in at any moment and be like, y'all are totally wrong. It was Actually, the exact it was opposite. The other way around. Right. <laughs> um, well, whatever. How dare you think Kyle is funny? <laughs> callous and that joel the youth pastor is doing all the christian parts no i don't know (laughs) oh man so ryan has to now continue to walk without faith and he ends up in temptation desert and he's dealing with grief of losing faith he's dealing with pain it's not like he got his wounds healed he's still wandering around in this giant empty desert he doesn't know where the road is and He runs into the devil again. Uh, And the devil makes him a deal. Never make a deal with the devil. He promises to bring his brother back if Ryan will abandon the quest. Because Ryan's come farther than anybody else at this point. But the picture the devil gives him is his brother without his faith. And I think Ryan finally starts to get it. Maybe just a little. You could have the thing you want. If you take the thing that was most important to your brother away from him. And Ryan, in a strange moment of clarity, is like, no. And so the devil turns into a giant dragon. It's like, okay, we're done with the games. Now we're going old school. We expect that when we make the right choice, it's going to get better. And sometimes, most of the time, when we make the right choice and the devil's really mad. It's going to get worse. Right. Somehow, I don't really get how he's able to, the only way how is because of the power of the king, God, I don't know what you want to call it here, but he's able to defeat the devil and continue on. And he can just see the golden city. It's on the other side of this river, the river infinite. And this is painful to read. (laughs) Like everything else has been up until this point. He, he tries to walk, he tries to swim, and all he hears is this doubt. I'm not good enough. All of the voices he's heard up until this point. And he just gives out and cries, why have you forsaken me? We've all come to that point, I feel like. Or if we haven't, we will. Life is not a bed of roses, as they say. And he slips beneath the waves and burdened by the weight of his sins, he drowns. And that's the end of the book. The end. The end. Well, it's been a great podcast. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no, he finally gets out. I kind of see it as like a baptism. He had to die and be reborn. Yeah. Um, because when he comes out, he's no longer Ryan. He's Christian. Yeah. 
uh, and he finally gets to walk in the Golden City. And I, I think everybody should kind of read that for themselves. I love the way it's described. It's like a picture of heaven. It's not like angels on clouds playing the harp. It's a party. It's a good time. Everyone feels good. He's met people he's never met before. And he gets to have a conversation with a little 16-year-old boy. That is very important to him. And he, after a lifetime of being there, he finally walks up to the tower, rings the bell, and gets to see the king. I don't even know what to say about the king here. Do you? <laughs> no, it's one of those things you kind of hold lightly yeah. because it's it's a, it's a description of one person and it's beautiful. It is beautiful. And it's also like I would write it differently cuz I need something different and I think God mm-hmm. is going to be exactly everything. So there's just He was like exactly facet. what Ryan needed at that point, exactly the way Kyle Mann and Joel Berry could describe him. Right. But he's so much bigger than any of us could ever describe. But one of the things that he says that I love is that, that's right, you weren't enough, the king said. You were never meant to be enough. You were only asked to be faithful, and you were only asked to keep going forward. Mm. I think that's my favorite line from the whole book. Yeah, it was really, it was really powerful. Um. The idea of like it, it's it's there throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Of like there wasn't a you weren't expected to do this perfectly or without error or without you know, just just asked to be faithful in one tiny little thing. PJ sheds a single manly tear. Oh <laughs> tell that tear to get back in there. There's no yeah. man crying in here. Yeah. Alpha males only. (laughs) But you're right. And so much of this book is like that moment. It's beautiful. It's painful. It's absolutely funny between all of the real grass. It's absolutely hilarious. Yeah. And I really can't recommend it enough. Like we've said, it's an enormous commentary on the prosperity gospel. It is so convicting. Uh, I mean, I can't say enough good things about it. It was really good. It's it's something I think, like, you just have to give yourself permission to read slowly. Yes. Because you are not a bad person for not being real enough to take it quickly. I don't think this is a book that should be taken quickly. Maybe on subsequent reads, you could take it quicker on my subsequent reads. I took it quicker. But that first one, yeah, I had to take it slow because... It is such a painful walk. Yeah. It was convicting too, because I pride myself on being a pretty real person and uh, running up against something like this. I was like, oh. Yeah. Right. And one of the things I love is that it's so based in scripture. So I have a few slides that are just quotes from the book compared to um, the Bible and mm. quotes from their book and the comparison to the Bible are so spot on. So trust in the king with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. I mean, that's straight out of Proverbs. There's so many like that that I love. And you think that they spent a lot of time just really researching it 
being very thought and what they put into it. Um, the amount of care that went into the crafting of this book. I love that one. Yeah. I um, I have confidence that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Yeah. Because we're not, it's like the, it's, it's the exception, not the rule, but we still get it, right? right? That, that we are going to have suffering, but I do get to have confidence that I, I do get to see some of it here. Right. I love this one. Run with endurance the race the king has set before us. I mean, as you go with them on this journey, it's painful for them. It's painful for you to read. It really is a journey of endurance. Just keep moving forward, no matter how painful it is. And that's all of life. No matter how painful it is, we have to keep moving forward. Just keep swimming. (laughs) Just keep swimming. Um, But all that being said, it's absolutely funny. I mean. It is. There there are so many good quotes from it. Uh, I can't say enough good things about it. So before we wrap up, I do want to pose a question to the chat. Um, What are some things we can take away from this book and apply to our own faith and to our lives? What do you guys think? Any thoughts? I did mean to do a shout out to North Arrow Coffee, which I am going to do now because I am a bad podcast host. I meant to do it earlier. But while we're taking this time to wait for the chat, please use code Hawkhound to get 10% off North Arrow Coffee. It is awesome coffee. It is pro-life, unlike humanist and herbia and plenty of other people in this world. Uh, So go give them your support. It's delicious coffee. It's made to order. Can't say enough good things about that. Abby's demonstrating what I do as soon as I get a new bag. Um, <laughs> oh, so good. It is so good. I'm waiting for my next order. Cody says North Arrow Coffee is real grass. Hashtag yes. true. North Arrow Coffee is hashtag real grass. You guys need to make that trend on Twitter so we can get people and questioning it. So they'll look and go read The Great Divorce. Let's see. I love what Sunflower and Nichelle say. Ultimately, never give up. Hold on to hope and on to faith. Even when our faith feels weak, we have to try and hold on as much as we can. Any final thoughts, Abby? I hope you will let me come back on, even though I derailed this over and over and over again. I wanted this to be a longer one because there's so much good stuff to say. It's so impactful on a person's faith. It was so impactful on my faith that I've read it multiple times since reading it last year. It was hands down my favorite book of 2022. Uh, So if you are not convinced at this point to go read this book, I don't know what to tell you. You're just Um, wrong. You're just just wrong. So go read this book and be sure to stay tuned next week because we're taking a different turn and talking about true crime and poisons with Katie Zed. Uh, It's going to be a blast. So I hope you guys tune in next week. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you all then. (laughs) 